0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod Podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's popping, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod with me, your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, every Sunday, I'm joined by my co host, my compadre, my partner in crime, Mr. Greg Manakis. We're recording before the Indiana Pacers game because I didn't feel like recording at nearly 1 a.m. in the morning, to be quite frank. Craig, man, what's going on, bro? How's things? How's things going?
1: Things are going good, man. Uh, this past week was my birthday. I turned 33 on Wednesday. Yeah, happy yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, it was it was definitely you know kind of eye opening. And during my Larry Bird year, uh, I had like an anxiety attack on on a tuesday night going into wednesday just thinking about like oh my god i'm turning 33 like i can't this is the last year in my early 30s next year i'm in my mid 30s i don't say that i'm
0: 34 i still class myself as early 30s No,
1: bro you're mid 30s you're (laughs) (laughs) you're er early mid 30s yeah i'm in my late i'm in my late early 30s but um you know once i got over that uh just talked with my girlfriend played some wordle uh, just chilled out a little bit and then uh, I actually had a show with my band Black Sheep Optimus on Friday a uh, little birthday show a lot of people came out to that went out afterwards uh, first time I really partied since new year's so that was that was a good time man I don't really remember too much at the end of the night but I remember I was having a lot of fun
0: I bet you remember the next day though huh
1: Oh man I mean dude I didn't <laughs> I didn't get out, I didn't get out of bed until noon and then I got out of bed just to get lunch and I went back to sleep until 6 p.m. And then you woke up feeling all moldy. And then, oh man, I, I couldn't even do anything yesterday. So then my <laughs> girlfriend and I sat down. She was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't know, like let's get dinner and then maybe we'll watch a movie. So we went out and we got some burgers, came back. We threw on the first Lord of the Rings movie. She fell asleep within like 30 minutes. And I was just, I was just amped uh, just from sleeping all day. I, I couldn't yeah. really fall asleep. So I ended up watching basketball all night. It was really cool. It, it's yeah, always yo. good. When, when my girlfriend falls asleep early, I'm always like, all right, I can just like watch basketball and not feel guilty about it. You
0: see, so when when that happens to me, I used to be like that, but now because it's like the job, I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, yo, I don't want to work when I've got some like free time. Like that. let me uh yeah. let me crank some 2K instead. And then I'm just like, I can't escape it, man. It just it consumes me. But yo, that first Lord of the Rings movie, I tell everybody, it's in my opinion it's the worst movie of the lord of the rings trilogy but it's or or saga if you want to include the hobby just -hmm. because nothing really happens right it's very much a we're building the narrative we're introducing the characters we're making it as we're enriching this story as much as possible so everything else after this is going to be excellent Mm -hmm. but this one like yo this is um this is like a labor of love type of deal you're gonna have to sit through three hours of boredom to get to the good stuff later and uh my daughter i'm trying to talk her into watching lord of the rings at the moment man and trying to explain that you're gonna have to go through three hours of mind numbing boredom before anything starts to happen <laughs> this is a hot take um having to sell that to her at 11 years old she's like nah dude can we just skip so, to the second movie
1: here here's my thing like, I saw the first Lord of the Rings movie, I think, when I was in seventh grade. My class at Boston Latin School, we went on a field trip to go watch it. And, like, I don't know if it was because I was so excited to be out with, like, all these people I'd never hung out with before, and we went to see this movie, but I freaking love this movie, dude. Like, I don't find it boring whatsoever. I find all of it exhilarating. Um, I know there's not, like, you know, it's not Orlando Bloom going, like, turning his, uh, turning his shield into a skateboard and, like, hitting people with arrows, but... I, I find it really, really interesting like the the introduction of Strider, a seal door. When, mm-hmm. when they first get to, was it like the Prancing Pony or whatever that inn is called when Gandalf is supposed to be there and he's not there. And Strider's just chilling there in the corner. Um, and then they got the 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 rates coming after them the whole time. I actually find it really exciting. So I'm going to have to disagree wholeheartedly that that is the worst <laughs> of the movies. I think The Hobbit is the worst of the movies. I don't See, want to the disagree. It's, it's all too right. Too many like- rolling
0: shots of landscapes so for me like i went to watch the first movie at the cinema on a cut day so like me and my boy like um once a week we used to just religiously cut school Um, like that and we, it was always, we, I don't know if they do them where you are, but we had cinema cards. Do you guys get them? Like you pay a, a set fee per month. You can see as many movies as you want to see for free.
1: I feel like that's be- become more common lately, but when I was a kid, I, we, we, <laughs> what we used to do, honestly, is we would go and we, we'd have my one friend, shout out Joe Higgins. He was not afraid to dig through the trash. So he would go into the trash and he'd get stick uh, ticket stubs from people yeah. that have left. And he, we would just use those and show them to the ushers.
0: yeah that's fair well we had these cards man and like you know i've had them pretty much most of my adult life you know you just walk in show your card they give you a ticket you can watch as many films as you want in a day in a week in a month and it's like less than 20 dollars when i when i convert the money so me and my boy both had these cards and because we're not really like our parents were paying you know we're like 15 16 we don't really have money like that but because we're not paying to get in like midway through in the movie, we just looked at each other like, yo, this is less, less bounce. And it wasn't until like three and a half years later that I actually ended up going back and watching that first movie. Mm. And I was like, okay, it's not that bad. But my, my first memory of watching it is halfway through. I'm like, nah, I'm done, dude. I walked out midway through, didn't even know what was wow. going on.
1: Yeah, That's interesting. I wonder where, at what point of the movie you walked out because like, to me, especially when, like when Frodo, when he first gets stabbed, right? He first gets stabbed by, by one of the wraiths and then Isildur comes through and fights them all off with like the flaming sword. And then the next, I don't know, maybe like 10 minutes is they're trying to get, uh, they're trying to get Frodo to Rivendell so that the elves can, can heal him. And, um, what's her name? Uh, Liv, Liv Tyler comes into the picture, right? And she takes Frodo and she has to get him, you know, she's, she's she's on her white horse and she's running away from all the black horses. And then she calls the water, bro. That to me, that was the moment where I was like, Oh man, like this is my, this is my, I wish I could swear right now. You know, and (laughs) like when the, the water comes at them and it's these horses like these, like a wave of horses coming at the, the black horses, man, to me, that image is like burned in my memory as like a 12 year old kid watching the movie. And then from there on, you know, Gandalf, when the fellowship gets together and they go, um, they, they're trying to, they're trying to climb the mountain because the other, the other wizard is trying to bring down the mountain and they're trying to like mess with him. Um, and then they go into, um, they go into the mines and they get caught in the mines because of, um, because of the octopus that comes out, man, like that, <laughs> that stuff's crazy, dude. I can't <laughs> believe you don't think this is exciting stuff. I love this. Man, movie. Man, I'm like, yo, know, like we spent far too long talking about. Yeah, this, we're but... seven minutes in talking about Lord of the Rings. That's yeah, why you. So, that's why you show up to an Adam and Greg pod, though.
0: Yeah, we go we go deep on content that isn't what we're meant to be going deep on. <laughs> I mean, for me, like I'll just say this: like I, I love all of the fantasy genre. Like I am a big World of Warcraft guy. Like I wouldn't okay. say big. Like I am not putting in hundreds of hours a week, but like uh, one of my main ways to chill out is to just jam on Warcraft. So like that fact, that whole fantasy genre is like um, I'm huge into that type of idea and that like um, ideology of like mm. magical beings. And so from that aspect, this was amazing. It was an amazing movie. But from like the the dramatic action aspect, it was amazing. There was always rising and cascading dramatic action. But from an actual action standpoint, something that like really grips you. Like I went into this expecting it to, to be adult Harry Potter is what I went into it being okay. episode two and three, like, sorry, episode, second and third movie. It's exactly what it was. First movie. It was kind of just like, man, I'm 14, 15 last week. I cooked class and we was watching some like gun in 60 seconds or something. This week I've cooked class and I'm watching <laughs> like, it's not good. Well, here's and I'm here's not...
1: the thing, man. We're, we'll put out a poll to all, all of our followers and see which movie they would rank as the best. And I'm hoping that people side with me. Cause I actually rank the first movie as the best movie. I, r- I rank uh, return of the King as the second best movie. And then whatever the middle one is, I rank that last.
0: The two towers, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Two towers. Yeah. I rank two towers last.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so while we're doing a ranking, I think this is a really good opportunity for us here. While we're doing a ranking, the Celtics have four games coming up free after this episode. By the time people are listening, there's three games. Mm-hmm. So we'll exclude the paces game. There's three games coming up all at home. The Atlanta Hawks, Memphis Grizzlies, Brooklyn Nets. Why don't we start by ranking them in difficulty order? Which ones we think are going to be the most difficult and to the easiest. So again, it's the Hawks, the Grizzlies and the Nets. So I'll let you kick things off, Which, uh, w- w- however you want to label them, one, two, three, ABC, whatever okay. you want to do there.
1: Yeah, I, um, the most difficult. Okay, I'm going to start there because I think If it was most interesting, I would say something different. But most difficult and the biggest test that I see for this team is definitely the Memphis Grizzlies. So I just watched them the other night. Um, I, I watched so many games, man. I forget who they played, but they literally, I was just watching it last night. It'll come to me as I'm speaking. But they have a double big lineup. You know, so our double big lineup has been a huge part of our success, especially on the defensive end, because Horford is able to guard the other teams big. And then whoever the worst shooter is, right, they put Robert Williams in that rover position that's been getting a lot of coverage lately in the media. But against the Grizzlies, I don't know that this strategy is necessarily going to work because they got Jaron Jackson Jr. at the four, and they they have him in a lot of actions um, where he's he's a four, but he doesn't necessarily play like a four, and he can hit that corner three. So if, if Robert Williams is covering Jaron Jackson Jr., which I'm expecting he will be, I don't know that the strategy that's been part of the Celtics' rise on the defensive end is going to work. So I'm really interested to see against teams like this, because we will run into other teams like this. What are the Celtics going to do? What's Ime's adjustment going to be? Because we found this formula that works for us, but we haven't really found anybody that's really been able to exploit it. And the Grizzlies are a team that I think have all the pieces to do that. Um, So I'm going to rank the Grizzlies as number one on that. So I'm a big fan
0: of the Grizzlies, big fan of their roster construction, big fan of their... um, just literally one through ten, I think, that top ten guys on the Grizzlies can all go and get buckets. They can all give you the business. Um, the one thing I would say is I don't expect Rub to be the guy to guard Jaron. I think that part of the reason, as you said, rub has been so successful is because you're putting him on the worst shooter on the floor. Now, if Dylan Brooks was playing, I'd very much expect Rub to be over on Dylan Brooks, but he's been injured for a while. Maybe. I mean, this is... The, so, the thing with the Grizzlies is they run that two-big lineup, but they're far um far more mobile because, obviously, Steven Adams is a bit younger than what um Al Horford is. He's a bit more of a rim runner than what Horford is. So, he gets up and down the floor in straight lines. Um, Triple J is young, mobile, very shifty. Maybe they put Raban Zaire. I mean, the one thing that I noticed and it kind of annoyed me a little bit against Detroit was one of the ways they got around... Detroit having like multiple big guys on the floor at all times because Detroit is so long and athletic is by putting Al in more of a drop defense, they weren't asking Mm -hmm. Al to switch on the perimeter. They were like, yo, we need you to drop back, play a bit more of a drop system. And that worked well at limiting like Isaiah Stewart. It worked well at limiting people crashing the boards to, to a degree. But what it did was opened up that mid-range and Kay Cunningham absolutely cooked He was you. amazing, yeah. If you want to do that against the Grizzlies, they're going to cook you and they've got more than one guy that can I don't do think, so. I don't
1: think we can do it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
0: so I, I'd, I'd agree with what you're saying. That It's definitely going to be arguably the biggest test that Boston have had in terms of how their defense holds up against a team that's constructed in a way to really give them problems. But for me, the bigger question is, does Udoka adjust before the game or does he adjust yeah. in game? And the most notable question there is how, if he does it in game, how quickly does he make those adjustments? Because mm-hmm. there's a point where there's a fine line, right? Where you let the team ride it out a little bit, see if they can figure it out themselves. And then you have to call the timeout, make the, make the change and the adjustment. And that's kind of where coaches, that fine line between a coach winning or losing a game for their team is knowing when to call time and when to let your team try and figure it out. So it's definitely going to be uh, an interesting game for sure.
1: Who you got at number two? Well, but before that, I just want to hit a little bit more on the Grizz, because we just spent three minutes talking about the Grizz, and we did not mention the name John Morant. And uh, so I, the game <laughs> the game that I just watched uh, was actually Grizzlies-Bulls. So it was Grizzly-Bulls last night. The Grizz were up at like 19 in the Bulls. Bulls had a great fourth quarter comeback, and then John Morant just took them home. In the fourth quarter, uh, Vucevic came back into the game. So Tristan Thompson actually came in for the Bulls and looked pretty good on the defensive end. And then Vuce came back in and ja, he was in drop and Ja just like ate him up. So I think if if we're going to sit and drop, there's just no way that we can do that. And Desmond Bain is a secondary creator on pick and roll against drop coverage. He's money from there, man. So I don't, I don't necessarily know that drop coverage is going to be the answer against the Grizz, kind of what you said. But one thing I'm interested in, in that game against the Grizzlies, I think that our wings can really exploit what the, what the Grizzlies have to offer. And I think that Marcus Smart might be able to take John Morant in the post. I think Jalen Brown is going to dominate Desmond Bain. Um, I, I think Bain is a is a decent defender, but what I saw from DeRozan and Levine in that game, man, like Bain could not hang with them. He ended up following out of the game. The guy who ended up playing really well that you mentioned earlier was SloMo. So SloMo was ISOed against DeRozan in crunch time and ended up stripping him to seal the game. And I thought that them going away from Zaire and going to SloMo Mo down the stretch under Rosen made all the difference in the world. So I would be interested to see how Tatum does against slow Mo. Um, if Tatum and Brown are the two best players on the court, uh, then I think yeah, of course we can beat the Grizzlies. But if John Morant is able to exploit Marcus Smart um, just in the speed disadvantage, and then also Derek White, who actually had a really bad game against the Pistons the last game. Um, I, I'm just interested to see how our, you know, backcourt and wings matches up against theirs. Because I do think that they are probably going to win the frontcourt battle with Adams and Jackson. I just think they're, they're one of the few teams that can exploit our double big lineup because their double big lineup, I think, is just better.
0: So the one thing with with Adams, and it's a reason why when a lot of people wanted to um, acquire him during the offseason and previous years, you know, there's been a lot of talk about people being like, let's go get Steven Adams great rebounder, great room runner, but you can really exploit that guy if you drag him into pick and roll actions on mm-hmm. the top of the perimeter. He It's real easy to use somebody like Tatum or even Pritchard that can turn a corner and put the Jets on. Jalen Brown would be fantastic at this, but you'd want Jalen Brown in some off-ball action and then back-cutting Steven Adams rather than relying on JB to turn the pace up with the ball in his hand just because sometimes he can lose his dribble there. But if you can kind of like target stephen adams there and then have someone cutting in weak side that's going to force triple j into a decision like do i tag the guy that's driving do i tag a role
1: Mm -hmm. man he's foul prone too
0: yeah this is where you can really start exploiting i do agree with you though i think that marcus smart's biggest flaw in recent seasons and like i mean when i say biggest flaw, it's one of the only flaws at the moment he's playing so well Uh, and i think you have to give him his flowers at that oh he's
1: been amazing yeah
0: um, but I do think that one of his biggest weaknesses is staying in front of quick guards. He, Marcus Smart generally struggles a little bit when you're asking him to guard some of the faster point guards or faster two guards in the league. And they don't get much quicker and much more explosive than Jarmarant. Morant. And the Grizzlies do a fantastic job of running actions to get Jar Morant, like Morant just, just behind the hip of Defender. You know, so then he can just spring free when they throw the ball in or throw the lob or whatever. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely concerned about that. It's all going to be how connected the Celtics are defensively, how quickly they rotate over to kill driving lanes, how quickly they sag into passing lanes. Uh It's, it's to me, it's probably the biggest test that they're going to have had since they, quote unquote, figured it out.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, just as we're talking this through, it's going to be interesting to see whose style ends up winning out which team is going to have to make the adjustment first because i think you're right if we can get steven adams in pick and roll and exploit him then that double big lineup that they run they're going to have to go away from it just like if their double bigs are just a little bit too difficult for us to handle like we might have to go to grant at the eight minute mark instead of at the five minute mark you know and our closing five might not be Derek white down the stretch it might be grant williams down the stretch or maybe we'll go back to the starting lineup. I don't really know what what's going to happen there, but I think that's why this matchup so interesting to me is because we haven't really seen a team like the Grizzlies. There aren't many teams like the Grizzlies. There aren't many players like John Morant. So this is, this is just something I'm really excited to watch, and it's a nationally televised game. They just moved that to TNT on Thursday. So we got three nationally televised games this week. Man, it's crazy. So who have you got at number two? Um, I would go probably with the Nets because I think at that point it's a game in Boston. So Kyrie will be playing. Kevin Durant is seemingly on track to play in that game. And it seems like they want to get whenever Durant comes back, they also want to have that coincide with Simmons coming back so they can just really hit the ground running. So I think if if that's the case and it's a fully stocked Nets team, this is going to be this is going to be a fun, fun game, man, because the last two games against the Nets, we smoked them, but they didn't have any of their guys. Right. And. If, say, for whatever reason, we lose the first two games you know, and the Nets are two and a half back of us or two games back of us going into that last one. And they look like they're really starting to figure it out. It's going to be a really important game in terms of the standings. So even if we, for example, we were to go one and two, but that one win was against the Nets. I feel like I might even call that this week a win because these teams are good, man. These teams are all good. They all pose different problems. We haven't talked about the Hawks yet, but they're, you know, they're an interesting uh, matchup for us as well. Um, But, you know, when, when I think of what I saw out of the nets last night, I was able to catch the game where they beat the bucks in, uh, were they in Milwaukee? I think they were in Milwaukee. Um, but man, Kyrie looked great. He looked really, really good. And Seth Curry, seemingly has supplanted patty mills he's kind of like patty mills on steroids so it seems like that's going to be a nice little um you know get for them and then andre drummond man i thought he looked good in the last game against the celtics he's huge he's averaging 11 and 11 for the Nets since they acquired him in five games so um he was they, solid against
0: Milwaukee last night
1: he was man he's blocked Giannis at the rim and he was just he was just strong he's a big dude do you know who else like you say Kyrie looked
0: great I think Kyrie was like what 33 35 points against Milwaukee Mm -hmm. and obviously that's a testament to being able to miss 50 percent of the games you're going to be fresh yeah and if you're Kyrie Irving and you're fresh then you're going to be absolutely horrendous in trying to guard just because you're so twitchy so fresh there's no muscle like now the only the only pushback I've got there is everything that could go wrong with Brooklyn season this year has gone wrong Yep. so does every chance in the world that the idea of that big free playing becomes a wish? Do you know what I mean I feel like there's just as much chance that we don't see Durant and Simmons as what there is is what that we do And even if we do, we're not going to see neither Durant nor Simmons towards their best. both of them are going to be coming off long layoffs. I mean Simmons like he hasn't played all season We haven't seen Simmons play since the playoffs. So he, he's not going to be in 100% NBA game shape. He's going to be a bit slow to react. Maybe he'll be on a minutes restriction just while he gets his wind. Under, like his wind. Uh, Durant's going to be similar. They're going to bring him along slowly. I cannot really, truly understand why you would throw Durant back into a 30-minute-a-night kind of rotation when he's been out for so long. You're going to want to bring these guys along slowly. So I do think that if it is a full-strength team, it's going to become a lot more difficult for the Celtics. But I also think it'll be full strength on paper, but it won't be full strength in practice. There's going to be large stretches of time where they're relying on one of these guys to do a lot while the other two sit, because none of them are at 100% right now. And none of them are going to be at 100% by the time this game rolls around, just because of the short timeline between when they get signed off to play again and when the game against Boston comes up. And I think that while it'll be nice if Boston does win that game and you can be like, hey, Everybody's been saying we're only beating teams that are injured or teams that are like we're meant to be beating. You'll be able to say we beat a, be a full-strength next team. But in reality, there's so much in this terms of conditioning that's going to be lacking for Brooklyn that I'm not actually too worried about that game. I still think it's going to be far tougher than what we've seen recently. Mm-hmm. But I just think there's going to be areas that you can exploit. And I definitely want them to push the pace from literally the word go to the word stop. Just run, Run those yeah. guys into the ground.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think my my concern against the three teams this week is when you look at who we've played over the past, you know, 20 games or whatever, we haven't really played too many teams that just have that go to superstar in in a lead ball handling role, you know, in in our defense, because it's been so switch heavy. We've been reliant on the switches because we're like, all right, you don't have that dude that can exploit Robert Williams if we if we go and he switches or exploit Al Horford if Al switches onto a guard. Right. So like Durant is such a mismatch, obviously, like he's probably the best player in the league. John, um, did I say Durant or, or Morant? I forget who I said, but John Morant <laughs> is Durant. going. Yeah. John Morant is going to be a huge issue. Like we can't switch anybody on We can't switch Robert Williams on a job. We can't switch Al Horford on a jaw. He's going to blow right by them. And then Trey Young, you know, we haven't talked about Trey yet. Um, historically Marcus does a really good job against him. I think Trey's average against Marcus is like 19 points per game, um, which is far lower than his, than his actual career averages. So like these three games this week, I just think pose such interesting, um, problems for the Celtics defense, because I mean, you saw what Detroit was able to do. You know, Detroit, just by having Cade Cunningham, who's a rookie, they were able to get into the teeth of the defense and just exploit us from the mid range. If Cade can do that, then you know, John Morant's going to be able to do that. You know, Kevin Durant's going to be able to do that. And we're, we're just, man, saying Morant and Durant like back it's to back is really, it's really, it's really tripping me out.
0: Colchester <laughs> did just get into it. And I think that you are right. You know, having these multiple guys that are go to options, 1A options that are genuine all stars, genuine like top five top 10 guys in their position we haven't seen much of them recently we saw a few of them to start the season but judging the team on how they dealt with them at the beginning of the year is not indicative to what we're seeing from them right now so i do think that this this week as you say is going to be a very good test of where this team's truly at how how elite this defense legitimately is i think that's a, a big question that needs answering But also, I'm not just worried about how we contain these guys. I'm worried about whether or not Jalen and Jason rise to the occasion against these teams. It's all well and good going for 30 against the Detroit Pistons or a depleted Nets or a struggling Knicks team. But can you go for 30 against Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and Kyrie Irving? Can you go for 25 and 10 against the Memphis Grizzlies that are like virtually dominating everybody they play? Can you go for... If Jalen Brown, 18 points, seven rebounds, four assists against the Atlanta Hawks when you're trying to deal with um overcoming the physicality of Clint Capella, overcoming the three-point shooting of Trey Young. Like, can you be these guys when you're playing teams that are going to keep fighting back when you punch them in the mouth they're going to counter punch and that's going to that's just as big a question for me as well. it is can you lock these guys up can you still be this defensive intent like this defensively intense team so it's a, it's a two pronged sword it's definitely like a seesaw like I'm I'm kind of like one minute I'm like whoa, the defense matters more next minute I'm like the offense and just trying to find that balance of being able to lock guys up for a certain extent and being able to produce offensively. And I think that, you know, I'm big at the moment. One of the things I'm looking at when I'm looking around the league is what teams are constructed evenly, what teams Mm. are genuine in the way they're constructed. You know, if you look at a team that's fifth in offensive rating, but 27th in defensive rating, well, there's a a clear way to exploit you. And I feel like the Hawks fall into that category. You can clearly exploit the Hawks defensively. But when you look at the Nets when healthy, when you look at the the Grizzlies when healthy, it's really hard to find how you can exploit them. You can't, if you lock them up, they're still going to be able to get shots off. They've got big time shot makers. And if you're not playing well offensively, they're gonna have a field day with you getting out in transition, especially like you know Ben Simmons, whether or not he's one hundred percent or not. If he gets the the steal and you're not getting back in time, he's gonna run that floor and jam that down your throat. Yeah. So there's a lot to there's a lot of questions, man. And I'm really curious, like just
1: how motivated this team can be coming into this week. Yeah, and they better they better be, man. And we haven't talked about the Hawks yet. Who who are the guys on the Hawks that you feel like pose real matchup issues for the Celtics? The one guy for me that I'm really looking forward to watching play, and I feel like he, his role has been increasing with Collins up. I don't I, I, don't know if Collins is back. I don't think he's back yet, um, but is Okongwu. Okongwu, every time I've seen him play, I'm like, ooh, this dude's really interesting. Like the few times that he switched on to Tatum, uh, that, that one game, I think it was the game where they beat they beat the Celtics. He blocked Tatum at the rim like three times in the first half or something like that. And then I've just been impressed. Anytime I've seen him switch onto a guard, uh, he re- reminds me a lot of Bam out of bio and, and in terms of his ability to guard down. Um, and so I, you know, he's the one guy that I'm really looking forward to watching and seeing if he has a bigger role with Collins, you know, being diminished or being out. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on the Hawks right now?
0: Yeah. So a congo was a guy that coming in was, arguably one of the most NBA-ready guys, right? That was one of his biggest pluses in the draft. Incredibly strong, incredibly um, incredibly versatile. What I do think as well is, obviously, Trey Young's going to be an issue. I also think that when you're looking at, if, if I'm correct, John Collins is out.
1: Yeah, he's I'm, still out. I just looked yeah. it up. Yeah, so, you up. know,
0: John Collins is going to be a huge miss for them. Capella's been giving Rob Williams fits for seasons. I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. But then you look at, like, who else do they have it's the depth right like bogdanovich gets hot against the celtics consistently Mm -hmm. um trey young might if you if you're taking away trade then you'll give it your opening up room for huerta i -hmm. think there's issues that he gets hot like the thing with the hawks is and i've said this many a time Offensively, it's very hard to limit them because whoever you take away, you're giving room for somebody else. And all of these guys are big shot makers. Gallinari can make shots. Bogdanovich hit shots. Huerta, Clint Capella on a lob threat. Clint Capella on the low post. Um, Then you go to I don't know whoever you want to go from like one through eight, one through nine. All of those guys are big. Hunter, yeah, Hunter. Hunter. Um, so I think that the way you beat the Hawks is you really put it on them when they're on defense, when they're at a position where they struggle, you put Trey Young in pick and rolls. You set back screens on guys like Huerta that are really good shooters, but don't have the frame to absorb a lot of contact defensively. You make these guys navigate off ball screens consistently, put them in rotation. They break down. You see other teams do this to them. It's a, it's a clear way of defeating this team is live and die by Trey Young. Limit everybody else and then make these guys run and absorb contact after contact after contact defensively. And for me, that's the blueprint of beating Hawks.
1: Yeah, I agree. And if you look at what happened, I didn't watch the game, um, but uh, I, I watched some of the highlights from the Raptors Hawks game. Like, Man, the the Hawks' offense is so good, and Trey Young is just so good that even against a team like the Raptors that is built seemingly in a lab to stop Trey Young with length all around, um, you know they Trey dropped forty one on them the other night, and their offense is definitely pretty much unstoppable. Like they they've got so many guys that, as you said, that can just put the ball in the basket. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how Jalen does in that game as well, because I think JB is one of the more important guys this week, especially in the first two games, because I think he has the clearest advantage against the other teams to guard, right? Going up against the Hawks, he should absolutely be the better player between him and Bogdanovich or him and hurt or whoever it is. JB's got to win that matchup. And then you go against the, against the Grizzlies where they have Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain, although he's had a really good season and he's, he's, far exceeded his expectations. JB has to win that matchup like handedly without, especially without Dylan Brooks. And I think Dylan Brooks is still out for like another week or two. Um, So I I think JB is going to be the most important guy in those first two games. And then against the Nets, you know, I'm I'm still looking forward to see what they look like with, with their fully stacked roster. I know you, you said that you have, you, you don't expect them to be at full strength and I agree with that, but I just think with the Nets, you know, after seeing them completely diminished, now at least having the pieces there it's going to put a it's going to put the Celtics defense through a real test and I'm looking forward to watching that
0: yeah it's gravity all the way right like Durant's mm-hmm. gravity is going to open up things uh Ben Simmons is a role man which I'm assuming they're going to utilize a lot because a Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant pick and roll is going to be absolutely ferocious I don't I know everybody's got their reservations about Ben Simmons but if he's the role man and Durant's the guy who's the ball handler or Kyrie Irving's ball handler like That's a really versatile offense, whether or not it's for 15 minutes, for 25 minutes, no matter how long, it's going to be hard to contain. So I completely agree there. Um, For me, I think that Jalen Brown played poorly for most of that Pistons game. Uh, The first half, especially, struggled. It felt like he was snatching a little bit. Um, He was kind of out of position for a few defensive possessions. Um, I I think he sat a little bit longer than usual coming out of the first into the second. But maybe that was just because of all the reviews. It felt longer than what it really was. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm definitely looking at him to be a tone setter in these first two games. I think, as you said, he's got the physical tools necessary. If you're going to have someone like Jar 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 Morant, who's an athletic beast, against you then you need to utilize the athleticism on your roster too and when you're talking about which team has the most athleticism uh i'd say jalen plus rob williams is more athleticism in your unit than Jamaran on his own right i mean i mean it's close but i think that if you can play that high flying run and gun game i mean i know jb's not really a dunker much anymore and i've said this before i feel like ever since he slipped off the rim a few seasons back is very judicial about when he dunks versus when he lays up. But when he's playing his way and he's using his burst and his change of pace, he gets to the ring with ease and he kind of glides there a little bit, very, very uh, old school kind of finger roll-esque type of movement. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see them lean on JB, but I think that another guy that's going to be big for them is going to be Rob. Rob's going to be absolutely in- integral, especially against the the Hawks, because so much gets made up of this Rub clink capella kind of comparison where i feel like rob's evolved to the point where a clint capella comparison as a ceiling is no longer fair because rob's passing is just evolving he had some great passes against the pistons some great passes against the nets uh, real bullets as well like touch passes bullet Mm -hmm. passes he looked great but by utilizing rob on the perimeter more as a passer and a facilitator you're pulling capella out of the paint you're making capella play around the nail you're opening up that um like the the low help line for guys to cut in across the from the corners cut in from the wings and i think that by leaning on rob as a secondary playmaker more from the perimeter you can nullify a lot of the room protection that clink capella usually offers so i think rob's going to be one of the most valuable players in that game i'd also say against the uh against the grizzlies you could lean on that you lean into your big men post facility post-facilitation, running more elbow sets for for Hawford and for Rob, and then opening, pulling Stephen Adams, pulling Triple J away from the paint and then utilising the space behind them that you create. So I do think the big men are going to play a huge part in how the Celtics kind of navigate through these next three games and whether or not their playmaking opens up opportunities for off-ball cutters and uh, secondary drives and stuff.
1: What do you think about um, Peyton Pritchard's performance against the Pistons? You know, Ime played him, I think, close to 30 minutes. Obviously, he was huge down the stretch. Do you think he's going to have a bigger role in the upcoming games, or do you think it was kind of just a you know one-off in that game against the Pistons?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know if you agree with this. Like, the, the When you're towards the end of a rotation or just outside of the rotation, the only thing you can do is keep yourself in a coach's mind make sure that every time you step on the floor you play to a point where they're like last time i put payton in he turned the game for us last time i put payton in he he ended up being one of our best playmakers or he was one of our best options at stretching the floor and the more you do that and you chip away so you you're building this body of work they have to trust you more that your role has to increase because you're proving that you can provide value Peyton struggled for a few games leading into this this game against the pistons so while it's great and the NBA is very much a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of league. And lately, Pritchard just basically turned the game against Detroit. I don't think it's going to change much in terms of how much we see him over the next few games. I think we're going to see him at each game. I, I definitely feel like there's a role for him at like 8 to 12 minutes a night. But mm-hmm. if he keep producing, keep playing that type of defense, that in-your-face, getting-under-your-skin defense, um, you know, four or five assists a night maybe hit, 37, 38% of his freeze. eventually down the line, is going to have to loosen the, the reins a little bit and give him a bit more time in the rotation. But that one game, I don't think that changes much. It didn't change much when he went off against Portland. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to change much going off against Detroit. I don't know yeah. if you feel different.
1: Yeah, I, I think I would feel a little differently just because the Portland game, you know, we were up big against them and it, it was just like garbage time minutes. And this was like, oh, you're playing over Derek White in crunch time. Like that was really that that was eye opening to me is that Ime said, you know, we don't have enough shooting on the floor. Peyton's playing well. I'm just going to leave him on there and let him do his thing. And with Pritchard and Ime maybe hasn't seen this as much as Brad saw last year. But when you put him in the game, he tends to make plays and he's such a smart basketball player. You know, he's undersized and he has his physical limitations, but his IQ is pretty high and he just moves well. He's always, as you said, he's really gritty as a defender. Uh, He crashes the boards. And I just loved what I saw out of him, man. And I actually, I actually think that there is a role for him this week, um, especially in the first two games. So I'd be interested to see how much he plays against the Hawks, and then especially against uh, the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies they they have a small backcourt without Dylan Brooks. A lot of their guards are a little bit undersized. Even Jaws like not too big. I don't, I don't expect Peyton to cover Jaw, but. You know, against Tyus Jones, I would expect Peyton Pritchard to be able to hang in that matchup against Melton. I think he can hang in that matchup against Melton as well. So um I, I think Pritchard might actually have a big role to play in that Grizzlies game. And just in general, I want to see If this leads into anything else, because I was actually surprised that Pritchard got the nod over Neesmith against the against the Pistons because the Pistons are so big. I thought that because of that size, Ime would be a little bit scared to play Pritchard just in case he got you know into the wrong matchup, and he would prefer Neesmith's you know physical size over over um, over Pritchard. And he didn't, he went to Pritchard and Pritchard held his own. Um, As you said, we were in a little bit more drop than normal. So I wonder if that had something to do with it, but I felt like there were more than a few times where Pritchard got into a size disadvantage and was able to hold his own. Um, You know, whether it was a well-timed double team or somebody just showing um, towards the basket, just to um, discourage somebody from taking him into the post. But I loved what I saw out of Peyton man. And we, we all saw this last year. This kid just has a knack for making big plays. And he's a dead-eye shooter. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he can bring this week and to see if he builds on the momentum because that's has been the biggest thing with Ime. When one of our young guys has a moment, he doesn't necessarily go right back to them. And I would like to see him go right back to Pritchard in the next couple of games.
0: So for me, it's like, I, I like that he went to Pritchard against the Pistons because it was very much uh, size and brute strength. And then Pritchard was the counter with speed and skill. Like, it felt like Pritch- Pritchard was your counter move, like a chess piece. Like, it's like, mm. hey, I'm going to draw you in. I'm going to allow you to bang us up a little bit. Bam, here's a guy that's super speedy, can light you up from everywhere. He's just going to cause you problems. So I understood why he went Pritchard over Neesmith. I do think that Neesmith would have gave you a little bit more energy if he'd had time to play. But he also gives you a bit more um, a, a bit more of a headache defensively because he will get caught out of position from time to time. I think ne- um, Pritchard is a lot more... Defensively sound in his understanding of the system and what Neesmith is. The one thing I will say is I don't think that he can hang with the Anthony Melton. Not on, not even not on offense. I think like if Melton's guarding Pritchard, Pritchard's getting locked up. Like mm. Melton's one of the best defensive guards in the NBA. Like, but like I'd say top seven. Like, he's really, really good defensively. And uh, you'd have to run some form of offense to get Pritchard off of Melton, to get Pritchard going. Uh, But against, like, you know, against the Nets, I don't feel that he's got that much of a problem. The Nets are quite big, quite long. He's a good counter guy, similar to how the Nets will look to counter you with Patty Mills. We could look to counter the Nets with Peyton Pritchard. And the same against the Hawks. You know, the Hawks are a bit more of a, a speed and skill type team, but you can definitely still run and Pritchard against Huerta And I feel like both of them have the advantage on offense And both of them have the disadvantage on defense Like I don't think Pritchard's Lucking up Huerta and I don't think Huerta's Lucking up Pritchard because they're both just a bit Defensively limited but I do think Pritchard's got that um, that um Defensive dug in him to be able to Really grow like he'll be in Huerta's grill a lot more than Huerta's in his grill if that makes any sense
1: For sure I also love how you say Huerta's name What? Huerta. <laughs> Herter.
0: It's either hurt herter
1: or further, so I have to go further. No, I like it. I like it. every t- the first the first couple of times he said it in the pod, I was like, "Who's he saying?" And it's like, "Oh, hurter, yeah, yeah." Um, because yeah.
0: I'm like hurter, as in like I'm gonna hurt you or yeah or so I have to emphasize the you.
1: No, I like it. I like it. I might I might try it out, but not today. I'll mess it up. Um, yeah, I, I you know it's interesting you say that about Melton. Um, I you know I've watched a handful of Grizzlies games. Obviously, I don't watch a ton of Grizzlies basketball, but I you know I I see him. I mean, I'm interested you say like top seven defensive guards. I, I kind of see him, like he's definitely impactful on the defensive end and he's de- he gets a lot of steals. But in terms of locking up Peyton Pritchard, I, I just need to, I, I haven't seen it enough of him. So I'm just interested, like that's your takeaway is that Melton's developed that much of a reputation. I spent
0: a lot of time last season watching the Grizzlies. I mean, like I watched a lot of their games uh, because I was very interested in Ja. I was very interested in Triple J. Yeah. Um, I've I done deep dives on a few of these guys And um, spoke to a few people um, Who covered the Grizzlies During that period as well And one of the biggest lessons I learned coming in Was the Anthony Melton can lock you up Interesting uh, And that's kind of his calling card It's kind of who he is as a player Like uh, very much Marcus Smart-esque Struggles a little bit offensively Three-point shots are not fantastic can, can get hot in a minute Can get cold in a minute You know, and he relies on his defense to hang. So it's very much a Smart light, and because of that, because of his mentality, the physicality he plays with, and his propensity to lock dudes up, like I just think that he's locked up guys that are a lot more skillful than Peyton Pritchard, and he's not afraid to step out from the perimeter to guard you. That I do think that Pritchard would have a hard time against the Anthony Melton.
1: Who would you say that Melton plays like? Is because maybe like a little Avery Bradley? Yeah, kinda. I feel like in terms of
0: mentality and like aggressiveness, there's a little bit of a Mike Conley there, mm-hmm. um, but obviously not as skillful. Um, do, I, don't, I think Avery Bradley in terms of like on um, ball defense is quite fair. Uh, as a sh- obviously not offensively, uh, there's a little bit of Marcus Smart to him as well. You know, he's willing to throw himself on the floor, doesn't back down, quite physical. So he's kind of a blend of a few dudes, but I definitely believe that, you know, top seven defensive guards in the league for sure.
1: Okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that in that game. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to see D'Anthony Melton. And that's what you get from an Adam and Greg pod, man. We start out talking about Lord of the Rings and we, we finish off talking Melton. about D'Anthony Melton.
0: <laughs> if you've enjoyed this show, make sure that you go and hit that five star button down on your Apple or Spotify app. If you're listening on a device, on a different app, maybe you're on Spreaker, maybe you're on Pocket Cast, I don't know, there's a million different ways you could be listening to this show. If you're not able to leave a review, or maybe you don't like leaving reviews unless you're upset, because, you know, I'm like that, I don't leave good reviews, I just leave like, hey, I'm a bit upset. If that's not what you do, and you want to support the show in other ways, don't worry, we're not asking for any money. But my boy Greg here, he's a genius, he markets his band, his band's all of a sudden blowing up, they're playing all over Houston, right? Not Houston, all over Texas right now austin texas they're probably the most famous band in austin right now with like no
1: oh no no question
0: no question so greg's done this single-handedly so he's going to tell you what you can do to help blow the celtics pod up to the next level
1: yeah i mean everybody's on nba twitter these days and there are a lot of great celtics podcasts out there but are they better than this pod I think the answer is a hard no. This is probably the best Celtics pod that's out there. So make sure that the next time you're on Twitter and you see somebody posting like, hey, are there any good podcasts out there? Make sure you retweet. Make sure you at them. Make sure you quote tweet them and let them know that they need to go to a Celtics blog podcast, Celtics pod by SB Nation. And uh, yeah, man, just let them know that we are the. if they haven't tried a Celtics podcast in a while. Tune them into ours because you never know. We're going to talk about Lord of the Rings today. Maybe we're talking about The Witcher next week. We'll get into some deep fantasy, you know, and who knows what's going to happen.
0: I mean, I want to dive into de- Detective Pikachu at some point.
1: <laughs> I don't know much about Detective Pikachu, but I did collect Pokemon. I highly
0: recommend you watch Detective Pikachu.
1: Okay. Is it on highly, Netflix? It uh,
0: should be. Should be. Highly recommend it. All right. I really Detective Pikachu. It. If
1: you're a Pokemon
0: fan, you'll enjoy
1: it. I was a big Pokemon fan.
0: Yeah, you should enjoy, enjoy Detective Pikachu then. All right, everybody, we'll end on that note. If you enjoyed the show, we'll catch you again on Wednesday when it will be myself and Mr. Will Weir. And then we'll be back on Friday when it's myself and Mr. Will Weir before Mr. Greg graces us with his presence again next Sunday. Have a great week. It's going to be a great week of basketball, and we'll catch you again soon. Also, Greg was being very, very, very modest because he also hosts a great podcast podcast it's called green with envy and if you do listen to this one go and listen to that one if you don't listen to this one then you went I'm going to have heard this so I don't know why i said it peace out everybody peace
1: I ain't you hate is I ain't you're y'all my patience never did it for a check I've been impressed with the-